Welcome back, dear sisters, to our sessions on biblical womanhood. We're now on lesson five, and um, I'd like to review a little bit of the foundational material that we've covered so far in order to help us understand God's design in the creation of the sexes we began by going back to the very beginning of time and gleaned some important truths from the first three chapters of Genesis. In our first lesson we learned that while God created men and women equal in worth he created them different. Feminism falsely claims that equality means sameness and that simply is not true. I'd like to give you a simple illustration to prove my point. Our smallest paper bill that we use in the United States is a $1 bill. And one of the coins that we use is a quarter. A $1 bill is equal to 100 cents in our currency and, and a quarter is equal to 25 cents. So they are equal in value. The composition, however, of a $1 bill and a quarter is very different. The four quarters are made of metal while the banknote is made of paper. So the coins are sturdier and the bills are more easily torn or damaged. Some people don't like to bother with coins in their pockets or wallets, so they pr primarily prefer to carry paper bills. But I like to buy my groceries at a low-cost grocery store that does some things to keep the cost down. And one of those things is that they require you to insert a coin into the buggy when you want to release it from the others. That way it keeps the cost down in the dam less damage done to the shopping carts. When you finish with your carts, you simply hook it back to the other carts and get your quarter back. Well, I keep a quarter in the car holder in my in the cup holder in my car so that I have that conveniently there when I go to Aldi to shop. Well, a couple of times somebody has swiped my quarter and it's not there or I've misplaced it and so when that happens, I have to go into the store, get in line and get four quarters exchanged for my $1 bill. It's just an inconvenience and I really don't like to waste time. So when I'm going grocery shopping, or if I have one of my grandchildren with me and they want a coin to get something out of a machine, it's convenient to have quarters on hand. That doesn't make four quarters more valuable than a $1 bill. And when I'm tipping a waiter or someone in service, I would rather have dollar bills in my purse. Would that mean that the dollar bill is worth more than the four quarters? No, not at all. The dollar bill and the four quarters are both worth 100 cents. They're just composed of different material and serve different purposes. But in worth, they're 100% equal. And it's just the same with men and women. Although we were created differently, God made them both in his image. Nonetheless, there were differences. And we know that these differences are significant because when instruction is given in the New Testament on the roles that men and women are to play in the home as well as the church, these distinctions are referred back to. To begin with, the man was created first to demonstrate that Adam was designed to be the primary leader. Secondly, even though Eve sinned first, God called Adam into account for his sin 
before Eve because as the leader, Adam was accountable for his wife and himself. In our second lesson, we looked at the role of the woman and we saw that she was created to complement the man as the Lord said he would make a for the man a helper comparable to him. The scripture tells us that the woman was made from the man and for the man in order to be his helpmeet. And again, we see the importance of these role distinctions reiterated in the New Testament. In the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the woman is called the glory of the man. She was given a role of lesser authority, but not of lesser importance. Now, up to this point in the Genesis account, everything looked lovely and perfect. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment with everything they needed to live joyfully and peaceably with one another and with the Lord. But then something horrific happened. In our third lesson, we saw that Satan beguiled Eve by planting seeds of doubt about the character and goodness of God. She was deceived, disobeyed the command of God not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she led the entire human race into ruin and destruction. On the contrary, Adam was not deceived, but sinned willfully against the Lord's instruction. And while it's crucial to recognize that God made men and women equal, he also created them with different inclinations. This is consistent with his purposes in entrusting leadership in the home as well as the church to men. Some practical conclusions we drew from the account in the garden is that Satan is subtle and we are gullible. We also need to be aware that just as he tempted Eve, the enemy of our souls tempts us to be discontented with God's design and purpose for us. And finally, in our last session together, we considered the consequences of the fall. Sin destroyed the perfect harmony that Adam and Eve had enjoyed and it brought sin and conflict and strife into their relationship. It's very important for us to recognize that the fall did not create new roles for Adam and Eve. Their roles had already been established for them and they were uniquely designed to carry out those roles before there was any sin or corruption. No, the fall didn't engender new positions for Adam and Eve. It simply made it more difficult for them to carry out their specific functions. We took note that the curse God pronounced on Adam directly related to his fear of responsibility. And the curse on the woman was twofold. First, the Lord said that her sorrow would be greatly multiplied in bearing and delivering children. And secondly, instead of being perfectly content in her role as Adam's helper and subordinate, she would now desire to control her husband. Just as the curse affected Adam in his fear of influence, so the curse on Eve affected her in her responsibility as the giver and nurturer of life, as well as in her role as a submissive helpmeet to Adam. Ever since that time, there has been a struggle with men either oppressively abusing their headship over their wives or passively disregarding their responsibilities to lead, provide for, and protect their families. And women, even Christian women, have battled with the sinful desire to dominate and rule over their husbands. Well, everything looked rather gloomy and hopeless, but we ended our time by looking at the glorious promise found in Genesis 3.15. 
our kind, merciful Father didn't leave mankind hopelessly lost in the garden. He promised that he would provide a deliverer, his own precious son. Satan would bruise Christ's heel through his sufferings and the sufferings of his people. But on the cross, Christ, the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. So while the fall of our spiritual parents brought depravity and guilt and death to the whole human race, we were not left without hope. By the grace of God and because of the death of Christ for us, we can live our lives according to God's good design and for his glory. In the midst of the brokenness we live in, our own sin, the sin of our mates, we can enjoy happy, fruitful lives as, and gain just a glimpse of heaven while on this earth as we seek to fulfill God's high calling for us as women. Now with those foundational truths to build on, I want us to fast forward 3,000 years in time and look at God's plan for his daughters in ancient Israel. Everything was different. As we delve into the most important chapter on biblical womanhood in the entire Bible, I want you to take note that we're now seeing a very different culture. We don't find ourselves in a picturesque, fruitful garden anymore, but rather in a grand, majestic palace. We're no lo longer observing a man and a woman dressed in animal skins, but a mother and a son clothed in royal robes and jeweled crowns are upon their heads. It seems that the surroundings, the culture, and the circumstances could not have been more different. And yet, I want you to see that even though so much had changed, God's plan for men and women and their respective roles had not changed at all. His design for the man before the fall, as Adam was enjoying the perfect environment there in the garden, was for him to lead, protect, and provide for his family. His design for the woman pre-fall was to come alongside Adam as a submissive helper. And that plan did not change after the fall into sin. It remained exactly the same. And 3,000 years later, in an entirely different culture, his purpose remains unchanged. Well, by now, I think most of you realize where we're going. Where we're going. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you have it with you, and turn to Proverbs 31, this very important chapter on biblical womanhood. I've heard some women say that it discourages them to study the woman described here because she seems like a superwoman. This type of character seems unattainable, but I can't agree. I remember reading this beautiful chapter of scripture as a brand new Christian, 17 years old, and then I memorized it. And I don't remember having feelings of fear and discouragement as I read about this incredible woman. Rather, I was excited and I anticipated that perhaps God could work in my life and could make me a woman something like this for his glory. Now, I was very young and naive in many ways, but I was so thrilled to be a Christian, and I really believed that the Holy Spirit lived within me. So that being the case, I actually thought I, I could become a little bit like this amazing woman. Well, as I married and then had children and grew in the Lord, 
I found that it took a lot more work than I had, re had realized to mature into this type of seemingly perfect lady. But you know, I've never lost the desire to be like her. And I believe, dear sisters, that that is the first key in becoming like her. We need to cultivate and fan a desire to grow in the character traits that are characterized by the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. In order to do that, we must spend time, much time, studying the scripture, what the scripture teaches that a godly woman should be like. That means there will be times when we can't keep up with the latest fashions and fads or with everything on social media. Well, I sincerely believe that many of you also desire to be like this woman. And so I want us to dig in and look at our biblical role model. If, you're ha if you have your Bibles available, turn with me to Proverbs 31. And we're going to begin reading in verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also arises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. I love fairy tales. I loved reading them to my daughters when they were little girls, and now I find such delight in reading them to my granddaughters. And the background of this passage reminds me of a fairy tale. You see, once upon a time, there was a young prince who, although he had become a king, had many things he needed to learn. So his mother sat down with him and taught him not only how to be a godly king, but also what to look for in a suitable wife. Most scholars agree that Proverbs 31 reflects this wise woman's instructions to her son. 
Now we're introduced to this pair in verse one, and then the next eight verses cover the basics of leadership. Each of the 22 verses begins with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in consecutive order. So we have before us God's alphabet of godly feminine character. The fact that these words were penned by a woman should encourage us. They weren't written by some man with an unrealistic fantasy in his head. This woman, the mother of King Lemuel, begins her alphabet with a question. Who can find a virtuous woman? An excellent wife, who can find? She knows that there are virtuous women out in the world and she encourages her son to find one of them. Now, usually when a young man becomes interested in a young woman, he gets asked questions like, what is she like? Where is she from? What does she do? Is she pretty? When my husband told his mother about me and that he wanted to marry me, she asked, first of all, does she play the piano? Does she sing? Because those are great assets for a young man when he's going into ministry. Well, my, wife, my husband missed out on both of those blessings. But when a man married in ancient Israel, do you know what the most common question would be that he would be asked? Has he found a virtuous woman? Unfortunately, because I felt the need to review some, we aren't going to be able to cover all of Proverbs 31 in one session, but there were a few fundamental principles that I want us to glean in the introduction to this chapter. First of all, as I already said, we can see God's plan for men and women had not changed. The man was the leader. He was the leader of the nation, and he was the leader in initiating a relationship with a woman. He was the one looking for a bride. It's also clear from the instruction of his mother that a suitable wife would be one who would not seek to rule over him, but would follow his leadership as a loving helpmeet. His mother instructed him to seek a wife who would do him good and not evil all the days of, his, of her life. A wife who would serve him, would serve their family, and would serve others, and above all, a wife who would fear the Lord. Next time, I want us to look more closely at the qualities he was to look for in this wife and see that they perfectly corresponded to the role that God had designed for a godly wife. This mother's encouragement and her confidence that this woman existed really encourages me. Ladies, this virtuous woman is real. This is attainable. She may seem like an ideal, but she's not. In fact, we see in the scripture other honorable women who are showcased to inspire and motivate us. I've been blessed to know a good number of ladies very much like this woman in Proverbs 31. And verse 29 tells us that many have done virtuously. Now, don't get me wrong, she's a rare treasure, but you and I can become all that she was. One English version asks, who can find a virtuous woman? While another reads, an excellent wife, who can find? And the Hebrew word here can actually be translated either way, woman or wife. And although much of this chapter is referring to a godly woman's role as a wife, 
I believe that most of the content is also applicable to single young women. The word translated virtuous or excellent literally means strength. The same word is used over 200 times in the Bible to describe an army. The extended meaning is capable, valiant, or mighty. The word is used often to describe men of war, but when you change it to the feminine case, you begin to grasp the power and the strength of this woman. She was pious, industrious, and a wonderful helper to her husband. And next time, we'll study the character of this exemplary lady and seek to understand how we, too, can be described as virtuous women. Until then, may the Lord bless and keep you and help you in your pursuit to become a godly woman for his glory. Thank you.